the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning thankful for the lover of our souls. We just ask as we consider your commandment to love one another just as you have loved us, that you would teach us, that you would admonish us, that you would correct us, that you would train us, that you would encourage us, and that our congregation, as a result of being under the word this morning, would grow in our love for one another. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you love your church? It seems like a simple question. But is it? So that if you're a member here at Gray Road, the question comes to you, do you love Gray Road Baptist Church? If you're a Christian visiting with us and you're a member of another church somewhere, the question would be, do you love your church? We usually hear that question and think in terms of evaluating. Evaluating maybe the programs of our church. Evaluating the pastors of our church. Evaluating the other people in our church. Evaluating the progress of our church. And certainly there is a place for evaluating our faithfulness, for asking the question, as a congregation, are we doing the things that God has called us to do in these various areas? I will tell you when it comes to the pastors of our church, if you're a guest with us, all the men that were up here praying for me uh, are elders, which means pastors. I hope in the same way that you pray for me, that you pray for them. Uh, I am thankful for every one of them. Uh, ministry in itself is not a burden to be born alone. From the very beginning, there was meant to be plurality. And so I'm thankful for those men and, and hope that you will join me in praying for them. So I don't ask that question to prompt evaluation of our congregation. I ask that question 
coming out of Jesus' words in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, if you're thrown off because you don't get our emails and you're not connected to us on Facebook and you were waiting for the next section of Genesis chapter 9 to come up this morning, don't fret. We'll be right back there next week. We've been covering like a chapter and a half almost at a time. Uh, And this morning, I only want to focus on one verse, really. One phrase of one verse, mostly. But one verse being verse 34 there in front of you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus is beginning to prepare His disciples for His departure. For Him to go to the cross and die as He was ordained to do. To rise again on the third day. To ascend to the Father's right hand. But he speaks to them in several chapters here in John to prepare them to live for him once he is gone, to faithfully serve him once he is physically no longer there. And the first piece of that instruction in chapter 13 comes in the context of Jesus serving his disciples by washing their feet. And the whole thing is introduced by his love for them. Chapter 13, verse 1, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John wants to make sure that we understand that what he's about to portray is not the only expression of Jesus' love that He has been loving up to this point, and that He will go on loving to the very end. And it's in that context that He records this new commandment. What's not new is the existence of the commandment, by the way. The commandment to love one another was given in the Old Testament. What's new is the measure by which love will be evaluated. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The pinnacle of Jesus' love in the Bible will be His death for us. For God so loved the world. Not so loved like a middle school girl talking about a boy, right? I just so love Him. That's not what He means. What that so means in John 3.16 is in this way. For God in this way loved the world. That He sent His only Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God shows His love for us in, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, if we are those who think of God only as judge, 
only as one who is interested in condemnation and punishment, we need to hear verses like this, that the Father has sent the Son motivated by love to save us from punishment and condemnation. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, hear that. God sent His Son not to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. That's the very next verse in John chapter 3. And it's because this this is how God has shown His love for the world. And then at the end of John 13, Jesus says, Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. Well, now what that cannot mean is that we are going to die to make propitiation for one another's sins. It cannot mean that. Because that is impossible. Jesus Christ is the only one who qualifies to lay down his life for another in that kind of substitutionary way. So what does he mean then? That's what we need to get to the bottom of. The reason why we have to get to the bottom of it is because as he has loved us, so we also are to love one another. According to Jesus, those who know his love must love like Him. That's the point. We must imitate Jesus by loving the church. That's the point. The church, the church isn't even mentioned there in John chapter 13. Well, not immediately, but who's He calling? His disciples, those who are His own. And what's He calling them to do? Love one another. Just as Jesus has brought these men together, He still brings disciples together. He brings them together in local churches just like this one. And if we, if we don't want to see it here, all we have to see is that the Apostle Paul picks this up in his letters so that in Romans and in Ephesians and in Galatians and in 1 Thessalonians, he tells these churches, love one another. He speaks into the context of the church. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, he recognizes you are already loving one another. Keep on loving one another. He doesn't want us to lose sight of love for one another in the church. So we must imitate Jesus by loving the church. And all I really want to do this morning is meditate with you on verse 34. And I want us to think about some of the aspects of Jesus' love, love that was demonstrated to those he met in his earthly ministry, love that was demonstrated to his disciples, love that we know in our own lives. And as he loves, so we must love. So what you have in this handout, the notes, this chart, you're welcome, all of those who love charts, in this chart... What you have here is a list of 20 adverbs, and I thought of more after this, so be thankful that the week comes to an end at some point, all right? 20, you say. That's a lot of adverbs. Yes, it reminds me of actually the story that's told of a Puritan pastor who was a, a, a bit overwhelmed by how many points, you know, he had. It's not unusual for Puritans to say something like, and 27thly, you know, uh, these kinds of things in there. And he comes to the evening service uh, and he says, I recognize that uh, my morning sermon had so many points, so I don't want you to fret. This evening service will be pointless. Um, yeah. And so... Um, So it is a lot, and it is overwhelming, but 
I'm all right with that, and here's why. Because it is purposeful. The love of Jesus Christ for us should be overwhelming. I mean, as much as we may not like the repetition of a song like, I could sing of your love forever, it is a reality. This is why Paul prays that Christians would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So some of these words will overlap in scope and we'll move through them quickly. That's part of the reason why I wanted you to have a printed list so you weren't trying to be concerned about keeping up, that you could just meditate through as we go. And I wanted you to be able to go back to it later and have a full list where you could think about the so also I must love one another portion. So how does Jesus love? We'll consider these. Each of one of these is either something that's basically an action or basically an attitude. And then we'll consider how it informs the Christian's love for his or her church. Not the organization, you understand. Not some institution. When the Bible speaks of church, the Bible speaks of people, God's people, gathered together. So how does Jesus love first? These are in no particular order, uh, except that some of them are side by side on purpose. First word is incarnationally. John 1 tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew 1.23 says that His name will be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Aren't you thankful that Jesus came? Without coming, we would not know the love of God fully. As Christians, we ought to love then incarnationally. We ought to actually be physically, tangibly present with one another. As much as is providentially able, we ought to be together when the church plans on things, when we as a congregation have said it would be good for us to be together, even beyond Sunday morning at 1030. It is good for us, even within this room, to go somewhere you don't normally go, be incarnationally present with people you have not sat with before. Move around, move toward one another. Even as simple as I find it's even simple to, it's even helpful to walk in a different door because I pass different people. Be present in people's lives. Do you know how easy it is to sit at home and just say, I just love those people, I just love them. I just love those people over there. Just love them. People are sitting at home right now, and they may be watching this live stream, and they're thinking, I just love those people. I just love those people. I've just got my Bible open. Now, if you're sick and you're watching on the Internet, we're not glad you're sick. But, look, the thing is, is that this is how 
quote-unquote church functions in the 21st century. If I've got my Bible and I've got some internet sermons I can listen to and I've got as whatever praise music I want to listen to, I can have church anywhere I want to. Well, this is a bad understanding of church. We ought to be present with one another. It's not good enough to just hear a sermon. It's interesting that in Hebrews chapter 10, we don't read that we ought to not fall into the habit of some of, you know, not gathering together. He doesn't say we ought to be together to hear sermons so that I'm spurred on to want love and good deeds. Now, that's part of what preaching the Word should do, right? But he says we ought to be encouraging one another and not neglecting the gathering. So, the opposite of not being here is not being here in the writer's minds. The opposite of not being here is not being here. The opposite of not being here is encouraging one another to love and good deeds. Because that's what should be absent when I'm absent. Not my warm body in a pew but warm words and affection for one another. Second, Jesus loves particularly. Jesus does not love randomly. He says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Ephesians 5, he loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is a sense in which God's love is expansive to the whole world, but no matter what we think, dear friends, the love of God, the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ is only, only fully known by those who belong to Jesus Christ through faith. Only. Jesus loves particularly. Which is actually reflected in the ways that we ought to treat one another. Galatians 6 tells us to do good to everyone especially those who are of the household of faith. This is not the exclusion of love for those who are not believers. This is the priority of love for those who are brothers and sisters. That's all that Paul means to say. We ought to love our neighbor, shouldn't we? We ought to love our enemy. More times than those put together we are told to love one another as believers, as believers. Jesus also loves, if He loves particularly, the other thing is He loves indiscriminately. In John chapter 12, Greeks are coming to worship Him, and Jesus says in, the con- in that context, I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to Myself, not all without exception, all without distinction. All people, Jews and Gentiles, the, the, power, the, the, the gospel is the power of God for all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. The love of Jesus cuts out no one who comes to Him by faith. Did you know that? The expanse of the inclusion of the gospel should be the expanse of the inclusion of the Christian when it comes to loving one another in the church. That means you cannot pick and choose. I cannot pick and choose from among the members of this church who I will love and who I will not love. We love the way that Jesus does. 
indiscriminately. This is why, by the way, Paul rebukes Peter in Galatians chapter 2, because Peter pulled away from the Gentiles to save face with some Jews. Just think about that. Is there someone that you're just avoiding? Someone you just kind of intentionally but nonchalantly move another way from? This is not how Jesus loves, is it? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't love you that way? Would you actually think it was love? I don't think so. I think we would know. That's not what love does. He loves intentionally. Ephesians chapter 1, In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Acts chapter 2, that, that, that Jesus coming to love us through His death was the definite plan and foreknowledge, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It wasn't an accident. Before, Jesus, before God said, let there be light, He said, let there be Jesus, the Savior of the world. Not to create Him, you understand, but that was His plan, was that Jesus Christ would be the Savior of the world before He ever created the world. He planned it. So I wonder how much we plan to love others. How much are we intentional about loving others? When was the last time on a Saturday night you rolled through in your mind whether you had a membership role in front of you or you just had people in the church in front of you and you thought, you know what? I'm going to speak to that person. I want to reach out to that person. That person's going through this or that. I'm going to move toward them tomorrow. One way to actually fuel that intentionality is to be regularly moving through your membership role in prayer. But that'll come a little bit later. That's another adverb. Intentionally. Another intentional way that you can show love is to show hospitality. Look, all it takes is a fire pit or a cornhole board or a back porch or a dining room table. You don't have to think of yourself as the greatest host and hostess to ever, you know, exist. You just have to love other people. And think of your homes and think of our homes and think of our dining room tables and our fire pits as tools that God has given us to love other people. What a different way to think about our home, isn't it? To think about our homes rather than the escape from all the other people as a way to actually love other people, even as, at times, God gives us refuge and rest in our homes. Spontaneously. This goes along with intentionally. This is much of what we read in the Bible. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is asked by Jairus to come and heal his daughter who is sick, and he's on the way, right? He says, yes, I will go. Guys, put it on the day timer. We're headed there. So they go that way, and a woman touches him with an issue of blood. Now, what Jesus does not do is say, I don't really have time for this right now. Can I come back later and we'll schedule this? He stops right where he is and he looks this woman in the eye and he says, your faith has made you well. This is a lot of what we see, people calling out to Jesus just happening from one place to another. 
This is a lot of, in addition to our intentionality in loving, this is a lot of what happens. So how can I plan to be spontaneous? Well, you could just linger after the service. When someone tells you how you can pray for them in the hallway, you can just pray right there. Go beyond, go one step beyond saying you will pray and just pray. Give a ride home to someone who needs it. If you're in a conversation and you know your family's waiting to go to lunch, just invite the person to come along. Let's finish this over lunch. I do want to say something, is, is that every single person in here, I'm going to say almost without exception because I don't like to use 100% language at all, ever. Um, <laughs> that's good. You are still awake. That is nice. That's wonderful. But what I will say is that uh, the standard kind of short, short, small talk answer to how are you doing has is morphing from fine to busy. Every, all of you, all of you are time poor. All of you. You are time poor. Some of it because of responsibilities that are loaded on you. Some of it because of responsibilities you load on yourself. All I would say is that we have to wrestle with what Jesus is saying and how we can. There may be space for us to make more margin for us to love. And there may be just space for us to just use the margin we have until such time as God providentially provides more, okay? So, uh, I, I, we don't actually have time for me to deal with all of the objections to this. Uh, brothers, here's one uh, that Chad was very helpful when I went, was making this list originally. I said, Chad, what are some objections to this loving one another? And he said, uh, like showing hospitality, he said, oh, my wife does that. Uh, brothers, don't let your wife be the one who leads in that. You lead the way. You say, sweetie, who can, we, who can we show hospitality to? All right. Spontaneously. Independently is next. Well, what does that mean? Well, one thing that is true of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are not his benefactors in any way. We cannot add to his greatness in any way. Even when we love him in return, it does not make him greater we don't contribute to his being. Acts 17 says he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, but he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. So what does that mean? What that means is, is that I love not so that I can get something back from you. The way that Jesus loves is to love. To love. In Luke chapter 6, we are told to love our enemies, to lend, to do good without expecting anything in return. If we are to do that for enemies, how much more ought we to do that without some kind of expectation of quid pro quo, we're gonna, you do this for me, I do that for you type thing in the church? Now, is that the best case scenario where we're all loving one another like that? Sure it is. That's great. It's wonderful. But my love for you and your love for others 
cannot be determined by anything but the love of Jesus for you. If we live dependent on how people will love us in return, we will never love as we ought. Obediently. It is helpful then if we think independently to not... The wrong question to ask when I think about love and the church is, the wrong question would be, do I feel loved? The right question is, am I loving? It is good to feel loved. It's good to receive the love of others. But just when we're thinking evaluation, the, the wrong question to ask is, do I feel loved? The right question is, am I loving? And is God's reward enough for me? Because that's what actually Luke 6 goes on to say, that he rewards those We'll be called sons of the Most High, and He will reward us. Is God's reward enough for me to love you? It's a good question, isn't it? Obediently. Jesus loved obediently, didn't He? Leviticus had told Him, love His neighbor as Himself. He fulfilled the law. Philippians 2, being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when Jesus commands love one another, our response is not, well, Jesus, if I can get the right circumstances, I will, I will obey that. No, 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 no. Our obedience to the Bible is not based on our feelings about any particular circumstance. Our, our obedience to the Bible is based on the fact that God is the final authority in life. He has crushed His Son to save my soul, and now I do not belong to myself. I belong to Him. So when He says love, I love. It's interesting, C.S. Lewis said, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. This is why, we're going to talk about prayer later, it is really difficult to stay distant in affection from those that you're praying for. We love obediently. We lo- he loved us sacrificially. We already said that, didn't we? I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself, who, who loved me and gave himself for me. Dear friends, loving another person can be painful, can it not? And it can be messy, can't it? But love bears all things. Galatians 6 says we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That sounds a lot easier when you're just quoting it than when you actually step into someone else's life and begin to bear the burden with them because it can get messy, it will get heavy, But the pain that sometimes comes along when we love others is a pain that glorifies Jesus who experienced more pain in loving us than we could ever imagine. It was a messy kind of love that Jesus gives us. We fulfill His law, His principle, when we love sacrificially.
He loves corporately. Ephesians 5.25, husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. All. This goes right along with indiscriminately. But He loves us corporately. Together. We cannot pick and choose. We love all. And He loves personally. Jesus teaches crowds, but He often just deals with individuals, doesn't He? You think of Peter's mother-in-law. You think of blind Bartimaeus. You think of the Samaritan woman. You think of individuals who are deaf and blind and lame and demon-possessed. Even Galatians 2 that we just quoted, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, Paul says, and gave himself for me. So don't slip in and slip out and say, oh, I just love this, this whole body, this whole body. Be actively loving individual people. That may be more in one place at one time in life and more in another place at another time in life. But love personally. Eleven, love relationally. Jesus is concerned for our relationships both with God and with one another. He is concerned for our relationship with God such that uh, He reconciles us to God. 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And He is concerned for our relationships with one another so that Ephesians 2 says, He Himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in His body the dividing wall of hostility. So Jesus' death not only reconciles us to God, it reconciles us to one another. Do you know that? So how am I supposed to love based on that? I am to love you such that I am concerned that you have a right relationship with God. And I am to love you in such a way that is passionate about me having a right relationship with you as well. Jesus came to seek and to save. Reconciliation all... Look, I haven't been anywhere where somebody didn't just need to go seeking to make reconciliation. Somebody has to take the steps. Somebody in obedience has to go. Or else, husbands and wives, the temperature in your house never goes back up, does it? Some, the, someone has to move. Do you have unreconciled relationships within the body of Christ? It cannot be. It doesn't matter. Whatever comes from this pulpit falls apart in witness if we're not living together as we ought to. It just becomes a preaching station. And praise God that the word that we are committed together to have the word of God go forward, to preach it, to teach it, 
But we, every single member of this church, must be committed to living it. Not just meaning, oh, I have certain moral standards. But within this congregation, you will have the standard of not keeping any relationship unreconciled longer than absolutely has to happen. And as far as it depends on you, you will live at peace with all people. When we start to think that unreconciled relationships, we just have to live with that. We're just in this world. Then we have to go back, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? You think we're going to be doing this in eternity? Don't do that. Move toward those with whom you need to make things right. Do not wait. Move toward them. He loves us spiritually. This is much like relationally, but he says specifically in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. It is absolutely and wonderfully true that Jesus came and loved us right where we're at, but his love doesn't leave us there. His love moves us toward God. His, moves, his love moves us to grow and to change. Love is concerned for the spiritual lives of others. Do you care whether the people sitting around you right now are growing and changing in the Lord? Well, now I could just ask that question and we'd all be like, well, the pastor just asked the question that the obvious answer is yes. Yes, of course, I care about all of the spiritual lives of all the people around me. What are, we, what are we doing to express that kind of concern for one another? Is there something we ought to be doing that we're not doing? Friend, that's a question I can't answer for you. But it's a question that must be asked. He loves physically. In Matthew 15, Jesus calls his disciples to him and says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. One of the reasons we are not to be anxious about anything in Matthew chapter 6 is that God knows our needs and God supplies those needs. He loves us in those physical ways. Christ's love, in other words, is holistic. He cares about the spiritual lives of those he encounters in the Gospels, and he cares about their physical bodies. He, even the, the healing of their physical bodies is out of compassion and a demonstration of a spiritual reality. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Because in the end, what is Jesus going to redeem? Not just your soul. Your body as well such that it will never be tainted again. So what does, how does that look in our lives? Well, I can use my skills to serve other people, to show love to other people. If I'm an expert tax preparer, which I'm not, but if I am one of those and I can help someone with that need, uh, I think of the times that some of our deacons have, done, has, have helped uh, people within their budgeting lives uh, and, and, and how... 
they have gone to people's homes and done repairs that none of us, none of you know about. I only know about them providentially because it just happened to cross my ears. But that's something that you can do. We can be open-handed with our money and our possessions, can't we? Well, we only have six TVs in our house. I'm not sure that we can give up one. We have to be open-handed. Offer a speci- here's something. Offer a specific helping hand to someone who has had surgery or a baby. Hello, shalom, welcome. Um, not just. Here's, here's, I will just tell you from dealing with people in grief when I was working with hospice care that one of the hardest phrases for people on the other side of that need to discern are, if you need anything, call me. Okay, because I, I don't even know what that means. I mean, I like the gesture, but I tell you what you like more. Um, can I come clean your bathrooms this week? You see what I'm saying? This is actually a specific request. I don't know that Laura's going to turn you down if you go over there after the service and say, can I come clean your bathrooms this week? When we brought home Joshua, there were women who would come and just hold him for 20 minutes so that because he couldn't be put down, he would go bananas. He had to have that touch so that Susan could rest or Susan could do the dishes. I mean, just do anything. Just think specifically and do something physically. Even if the answer is no, it's an expression of love, even if you don't get to do it, right? Verbally, John 12, Jesus did not speak on his own authority, but the Father who sent him has given him this commandment to what to say and what to speak. He is, he's the only one who perfectly spoke the truth in love. All of his words were profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. He used his words just yesterday. I had a really bad couple of days, just physically. And a friend texted yesterday, just that the, asking, in this congregation, asking the Lord to make his face to shine upon me and encourage me in the word. It was simple, it was short, it was verbal, and it was used of the Lord to encourage me. It was a loving expression. So are you a teacher? Teach. If not, look for ways that you see. Here's something you can do. Look for ways that God is at work in other people and just encourage it verbally. Seek out the grace of God at work in other people and just encourage it. We obviously have to rebuke when needed. We need to speak words of hope in the midst of trials, don't we? We have to be reminded of ultimate reality when temporal reality is smacking us around. Love verbally love knowledgeably do you know that Jesus really knows you I mean he knows you he does not just know the you that you showed up with this morning for all the other people who showed up with their you for you to know them 
He knows you. When he's speaking with people in the gospel, it's like the rich young ruler. The Bible says he looked at him and loved him and said, sell everything you have. Why? Because he knew him. He knew what had his heart. And that knowledge added to his love for them. Here's what's wonderful is that Jesus loves us though he knows us. Hebrews 4 says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all just laid bare before him. So what does this mean for us? I mean, you're not omniscient, are you? The answer is no. You're not omniscient, are you? No, you're not. I can tell you, you're not. So how does this work? How am I to love knowledgeably? Well, what it means is that we must actually work to know other people, to know others, and we must humble ourselves to be known by others. So how do you start that? Whatever level of conversation you have with a person, just take it one step deeper. Just start there. One step farther. Not one step more into the weather or the Colts or into baseball, which those are fine things to talk about. God graciously gives us lots of conversations to make up a relationship. But just take a moment to go a little bit farther. After someone says something's awful at work, just go farther than saying, oh, that's terrible. Maybe ask about how, how are you responding to that? How can I pray for you as you respond to that? You see how I just went one step further there? We have to know and we have to be known. Prayerfully. Jesus prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us. He still prays for us. Romans 8.34 says he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Hebrews 7 says he lives to intercede for us. In John 17, we hear him praying for his disciples and for us. So pray through the membership role. Just pray through it. If you went through that growth group study on Paul's prayers, use Paul's prayers as a guide for how to pray for other Christians. Take seriously the Wednesday prayer updates. Take seriously requests that are given in growth groups. Pray in the moment. He loves patiently. How many times in the Gospels is Jesus asking his disciples, do you still not understand this? In Luke 24, he's after the resurrection, right? They're saying, oh, something terrible has happened. These men on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus said, are you still slow of heart? Are you still so slow? Consider Peter. After Peter makes this grand proclamation of faith that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he, he, says, he says, Jesus, no, 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 wait a second. Being that cannot involve dying. So you're going to have to cut that out. So Jesus rebukes him. Later, Jesus says, you're going to deny me. He denies him three times. And yet still, Jesus is patient with Peter. 
if we had open mic morning, all right, it would go into the afternoon, and you were going to talk about how Jesus has been patient with you. You think you could say something about that? The question is, how much has Jesus' patience with us informed our patience with other people? Sometimes we are slow and fickle, and our minds go back and forth. We, we don't need to sit here and think, oh, yes, I need to be patient with all those other people. Look, we are the ones who need to be other people to be patient with. People need to be patient with me. See, Susan didn't amen there, which is really a nice gesture. Thank you, Susan, for not saying amen. She said it in her heart. She'll say it like me <laughs> because she knows. But this is why, friends, we're to, we're to bear with one another in love. Sometimes we're slow to learn, slow to grow. Sometimes people are stuck in the same place or the same cycle. Look, the testimony of Josh Stacy from the baptismal waters was that there was a cycle of sin in his life. And all we did was kept staying with him. And by we, I just mean like the men who were involved in his life. And what happened? He actually came to faith. That's what happened. We have to be patient with one another. We have to love patiently. Keep praying. Keep speaking. Keep encouraging. Keep rebuking. Keep admonishing. Keep going. Stay steady. Compassionately. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew 14, it says that he has compassion on the crowd so he heals all their sick. Friends, we ought to be troubled by what troubles other people. Too often, people in our society take the troubles of other people as just a means by saying, man, I'm glad I could be worse off. Think about how I could be in that position. That is not God's design for us. We are to look on the pain of other people and be pained by it. And it is supernatural. You cannot make yourself weep with those who weep. You cannot make your heart break with the heartbroken. None of these are actually possible without the Spirit's help. Which is why we must pray for them. But we are to love. And Jesus' compassion on others did not leave Him. Still, it led Him to move toward them. To act. He loves perseveringly. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who is thankful that Jesus Christ has not given up on you? That nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
How much do you relish that? How much do you cherish the persevering love of Jesus Christ for you? So then how committed ought we to be to loving one another? I mean, in its base form, persevering means you are committed to something. So if you're a believer in Jesus and you're just dilly-dallying with the whole idea of church membership, cut it out. Make a commitment. It doesn't have to be here. Commit yourself to a local church. Love is committed. Love all the time. Not just when there's cancer or surgery or a baby. I will tell you, friends, we are really good at that as a church. We are really good at loving when there are hard times. I am often overwhelmed by the expressions of love that I see one for another in the midst of hard times. But the question I want to ask us is, in addition to that, do we love as a regular rhythm of life when nothing's wrong, when nothing's broken? A friend loves at all times. Don't throw in the towel on one another. Persevere. Again, stay steady. Whether you've been a member here five months or 50 years, don't give up on loving one another. If you abound in in love for one another, fantastic. Paul would say, abound all the more. Keep loving. And worshipfully. In John 12, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And when he prays later, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus' love for us is to the glory of God. It is for our good, and the higher purpose, it is for God's glory, which is how it works to our best good. Remember that. When you think about loving one another, when you go back and you meditate through this, when you think about how you can pick up some of these things and be challenged in your attitude and and maybe do something you've been thinking about but not doing or, or whatever it is, however it is you go back and you think on this text and these words and think about what the Scripture teaches, whatever it is, Do it to the glory of God. Don't do it so people will know you love one another. Don't do it so the person that you're seeking to express love to will thank you for that great expression of love. Do it for the glory of God. And if someone loves you and you tangibly are loved, you know you're being loved by this person. Praise the Lord and thank the person. Thank you for loving me in this way. It's a lot, isn't it? I'm not even going to read the whole list again. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. To use Paul's language, it's broad, it's long, it's high, it's deep. We should be in awe of the overwhelming love of Jesus for us. And that 
overwhelming love of Jesus should motivate us to overwhelm those around us in the church with love. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And the community around us who hears of such a church, who comes among us and sees little sparks of this or that, or comes to a growth group and knows it, should be in awe of the overwhelming love of Jesus reflected in our overwhelming love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So let me end with the question I started with. But I hope we all hear it differently. Do you love your church? Do you love your church? A question that begs another, doesn't it? A more searching question. That no matter what my answer to that question just was, the question we have to answer going from here is, will you love your church? Do you? Will you? We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you, overwhelmed by your great love for us. How great a love that you have lavished upon us that we might be called the children of God. Thank you for loving us in all of these ways. For loving us by sending Jesus to us incarnate, loving us particularly and indiscriminately and intentionally and spontaneously and independently and obediently and sacrificially and corporately and personally and relationally and spiritually and physically and verbally and knowledgeably and prayerfully and patiently and compassionately and perseveringly and worshipfully. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love for us. Give us grace that we might be in awe of how you have loved us. And give us grace that we might imitate Jesus by loving our church. We pray in the name of of the lover of our church, the church, and our souls, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, the praise team is going to come.